<laughs> when did this happen? I did not grow up celebrating. Oh my god! <laughs> it makes me crazy. Oh. I, I am hearing indignation and outrage oh, coming right. out again. I have not burned myself out. Ah! Hey, Amy. Hey, David. How was your food week? Oh, God. My food week had a total pinnacle of amazingness. <laughs> a, epiphany? You had an epiphany about food? Well, it just, I had the most delicious thing I've eaten in, I don't know, a few years. Really? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's pretty epiphanictic. Yeah. Is that a word? So epiphanictic. <laughs> do you know? Yeah, they have a, they have a, they have an operation for that. Um, <laughs> do you know Tiffany Faison? She is a total uh, rock star chef. She's all over mm-hmm. the Food Network. I know the name. Yeah, yeah. She's in Boston. Yep, I think she's right? in Boston. Yeah. And uh, we were filming our show Weekends with Yankee with her last week. Right. A uh, quick backstory: She had a restaurant called Orfano, and they made this incredible ravioli with taleggio, like filled with taleggio. Oh. Cheese, I which love Taleggio cheese. Oh, so good! If you don't, it's like kind of a slightly stinky, stinky, runny, runny. Yeah, kind of rubble over your body cheese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. While we were filming, she kind of did a, a take on that. And it was gnocchi, like homemade potato gnocchi, mm-hmm. which right. alone are fabulous. With a Taleggio fonduta, which is like a Italian fondue. It's much creamier and lighter and more like a sauce than a than a French or Swiss fondue. So right. that was like a sauce. And then she dotted it with salsa verde with, with like, you know, herbs and shallots and wow. vinegar and honey. And oh my God, the thing, it was just like, knock me over. It was so good. So how about you? Well, <laughs> mine was less of an epiphany and more like a, a warm hug, if uh-huh. you will. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that's it's- perfect for winter. Yeah, uh, I made duck risotto. Um, we had some friends over, so I made duck risotto from my cookbook. Uh huh. So it had braised duck legs in pieces of meat in the risotto, mm. and I used a veal and duck demi glace. Oh to my god! Kind of for the liquid, and then it had seared medium rare duck breast on top, sliced oh, wow. with orange and and orange zest, and it was really lovely. But the thing for me is my friend Suzanne. Suzanne and Gigi came for the weekend, they're good friends of ours. And Suzanne is part French Canadian uh-huh. and she brought a tortillier. Oh, we talked which, about that. Yeah, I love tortillier. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's a French Canadian meat pie, a pork pie with this incredible crust and spices inside. And I absolutely love it. So we just, we ate all weekend. Yeah. I must've gained about eight pounds this weekend. <laughs> just ate and ate and ate. So that's what it was. Adam, did you have a good food week? I'm just curious. No, I had the worst food week, actually. My wife and my daughter went to Atlantic City for a gymnastics meet. I stayed home with the other two kids and redid the floor in our kitchen, which meant the refrigerator (laughs) and the oven were, like, out of commission. So I had banana muffins, like, Uh all weekend and leftover mac and cheese in the microwave. So thanks for bringing that up again. You're such a dad. You're such a dad. You know, it's funny, though, David, you mentioned the tortier. I just had the first time a French-Canadian tortier. My heritage comes from Canada, french And we got together for, it was uh, the day after New Year's, Mm -hmm. and we always get together, do, like, a big, like, post-holiday gathering with a ton of food. And that was there which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I also, for the first time, I've heard you both speak so much about pimento cheese. Oh. Yeah. One of my aunts has now lived in Atlanta, Georgia for the past 20, 30 years, and she brought up a Southern-made pimento cheese. It's wonderful. I love love it all. This is my kind of food. Yeah.
It's interesting because in food news, something that's the absolute opposite of what we're talking about is Noma, the absolute praised, honored, medallioned. That's not even a word again. What's what the? What's I, what's I my like words your today? neologisms today. Keep going. My my. my medallioned restaurant considered one of the best in the world the best in the world mm-hmm. what four times five times yeah it's closing it's yeah. just it's the upper 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 echelon of dining and they're closing well you know how do you feel about that well you know there have definitely been allegations of misconduct of sort of using unpaid labor labor yes some people have claimed that they've been abused and sort of treated mm. very poorly that there are people flying off the handle and yeah. hitting and whatever. I'm not in a position to say whether that's true. I don't think there's been an investigation into that. But I think that kind of very classical brigade... I mean, Jamie Oliver was talking about this last exactly. time. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. It's it's a yep. setup for a really horrible work environment. And I think its time is kind of over. It is. It is. And what's interesting is some people are saying that... Did you see the movie The Menu? No, I haven't seen it yet. I wanted to, but nobody would watch it with me this weekend. So (laughs) you got to see it. Did you see it, Adam? No. Some people are saying the menu is partly responsible for the collapse of that. I think that's like an overstatement. Right, right. But I do think that there is some of that because the menu is all about this real sort of hard-nosed, real difficult, psychotic chef, basically, mm-hmm. and the, the people he serves on this one particular evening. But that kind of real high-end dining doesn't appeal to me anymore. You no. know, I was a waiter in those situations, and I know how difficult it is. And I've seen chefs take broiler plates. You know what a broiler plate yeah. is, right? When they're, I mean, so what they are is they're just incredibly screaming hot metal plates and throw them at other cooks and at waiters. Mm. And you have to duck. And, and other things and all the abuse. So it's interesting. I, I, I don't think they're related. I think that's really an overstatement. But I think it's interesting because I can see kind of the parallel between that kind yeah. of high, real highfalutin dining and stuff. Well, David, but, I uh, don't have any patience for it either. I mean, I, mm. you know, 13 courses, I feel trapped. I feel overfed. Yep. I feel like the point at which my body is saying enough food yeah. It, it is sort of overridden by the fact that there's five more courses coming and they're watching yeah. and you don't want to be rude and, you know, walk out in the middle of it. I mean, I remember hearing that Thomas Keller would get offended when people would go to the yes. bathroom during the meal at Yes, at I heard the same not thing. Se, how French dare laundry. you? I just, yeah, how I wanted, dare you? Like, I want to be in charge of how I eat and I don't want to be trapped at a table. <laughs> yes. It's, yes. It's, yeah. I don't think my meal at a restaurant is about the chef. I think my meal is about me enjoying the food the chef has prepared. Yeah. And I want to have it, not my way, but I'd like to have my experience. Yeah. But that is not what a lot of people think. And I know some of the some of you listening right now may really have an issue with what we're saying, but I really want to go to a restaurant because I don't enjoy myself with the people I'm going with. It's not theater for me. I would bet that not many people really are wanting that style of dining anymore. I think its yeah. day has passed, which I'm not sad about it. Mm, Look, a three either. to five course prefix, like great, you know, lovely. Yep. But yeah, no, not this like dining as theater. Stuff. And you have to wear a jacket and tie. If you have to, I'm not there. <laughs> I will not wear a jacket and tie anymore. I don't want, no. I'm not wearing a uniform to go out and die. That's just me. That's yeah. Just not, that's just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also in food news, let's talk about the cost of eggs. 
Yeah. So right. um, what's going on there? I, it's so strange, David, because I feel like every week there's a new ingredient that is impossible to find. Now I yeah. use Instacart a decent amount when I'm recipe testing. Yeah, I um, do too. Just to save time. And mm-hmm. the number of times you go on there and you know, something that you would think would be eminently available is is out of stock. It, it just it's all the time now post pandemic. And all but the eggs, time. eggs, eggs are so fundamental to people's daily eating. And um, yeah. so prices have jumped 11% just from November to December of last year. Right. Uh, in California, p- prices as high as $7.37 for a dozen eggs have been clocked. Right. I have to best this, if you don't mind. I have to like, you know, one up everybody on this. <laughs> I was in Somerset, Massachusetts in the Stop and Shop. So if you are listening to this Stop and Shop, shame on you. <laughs> I was using Instant Cart. It was almost $12 for a dozen white eggs. Mm. Yet I was able to get a dozen brown extra large eggs, $4.69. Interesting. Okay, so that kind of leads to a tip that you were bringing up, which is yeah. be a little Work flexible. around sizes. Yeah. yeah, either go larger, go darker. And folks, just so you know, there's no difference between white eggs and brown eggs. They're exactly the same. Just depends upon what chicken is laying what. There's no difference. One is not healthier. Do you remember the ad campaign in like the eighties that was trying to get people to eat brown eggs and it had a it had a um jingle and it went, Brown eggs are local eggs and local eggs are fresh. <laughs> <laughs> no, have you ever heard that, Adam? No, I'm definitely looking that up. No. <laughs> Amy, you know, we are, there is a, I am a man of a certain age and I am older than you. So I don't, I did not hear that or remember that. No. Well, you know, uh, but, I have a part of my brain where all the jingles go and it's, it's crowded out all the names and I, I can't remember anybody's name, but I can tell you a jingle from 1983. Well, I, rem, I, I do remember a lot of them, but the one that just came to mind, it's not even a jingle, but remember conjunction, junction, what's, what's your, your function? function? Yeah. Looking up words. Words and phrases and clauses and making them function. That just came to mind. I don't know why that, right. why it did, but it did. And so back to eggs and, and our <laughs> conjunctions about eggs. Yeah. So the workaround for me that I would suggest to our listeners is look at other sizes, uh, mm-hmm. look at other colors. Uh, also up here in Connecticut, we have a lot of farmers, so we're buying directly from farmers now. Yeah, and it is and want to support them crazily sometimes cheaper now to buy eggs from your local farmers market than it is from the supermarket, yeah. which is a stunning turn of events. But good for local mm-hmm. farmers. A lot of baked goods really can be made without eggs. I really. Remember the first time I made a vegan cake with no eggs and just being shocked at how well it turned out. So uh, you can cook vegan if you're baking Mm -hmm. and you won't even notice the difference in many cases. Aquafaba. Have you played around with aquafaba? I have not. I have never once used aquafaba. Tell people what aquafaba is. Aquafaba is a vegan alternative to egg whites. It's it's made with liquid from canned beans or soaked beans. It's that very thick kind of viscous, gelatinous, clear liquid you can get. And it's chock full of protein, just like egg whites. And you can whip mm-hmm. it into meringue. Um, you can make yourself lovely baked Alaska with it mm. <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. So that is an alternative, thanks to our vegan friends. And, you know, I think the cost, some people are 
blaming bird flu, avian birds. flu. Yeah, avian yeah. flu. And then uh, also increased costs of food, fuel, and packaging. But don't you think some people there's cash grabbing going on here? Like you're just getting richer and richer through saying it's all this shortage and stuff. I think some people are getting very wealthy. It gets really hard to separate them out. You know, once the yeah. price starts going up and people realize that people are going to cough it up anyway, and then, yeah. you know, why not keep going? I don't know. I, I'm trying not to assume the worst of people because, to be honest, after the past six years, I am so tired of my own outrage and indignation. Those are just two yeah. emotions I have burned myself out on. So <laughs> I'm I'm just practicing not being outraged. I'm a good old-fashioned misanthrope, so I can think <laughs> the worst of people. I don't think that prices will ever go back to pre-pandemic pricing. I don't think it will. I think it's going to stay really high. I don't know. How can nobody can, I mean, how can they people can't afford live? it anymore? It's I awful. know. It's just, a, it's amazing to me. Yeah. Let's talk about some maybe more fun future casting, maybe some predictions. Sure. So you and I have been diving into various predictions, food predictions for 2023. We've looked at yes. the New York Times, Better Homes and Gardens, the Food Network, various marketing Beast agencies. Magazine. We took note of the ones that seemed more interesting or worthy of discussion. And yeah. here we're going to tell you. Various predictions, food predictions for 2023, and what we think about them. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, don't you love judging? This is so much fun. We can like judge all these things, whether they're worthy or not. So actually, what do you think about this whole food trending, this whole, you know, what is going to be popular and stuff? Do you think there's any merit to it, really? I think a lot of it is honestly manufactured for PR. You know, I get a lot of press releases saying like, mm -hmm. such and such is going to be the new. Furthermore, let me just say on top of that, speaking of garbage manufactured things, what about National Jelly Bean Day, National mm -hmm. Caramel Day, yep. National Steak Day? When did who... According to who? Who? Like, when exactly. did this happen? I did not grow up celebrating. Oh my God. <laughs> it just makes me crazy. Oh, I, I am hearing indignation and outrage oh, coming right. out again. I have not burned myself out. Oh. I thought you were giving it up. Every day I get a chipper press release. Like, so do it's I. National yes. Marshmallow Day. And Kraft is celebrating with these. It's, oh, makes me crazy. I know. I, and we used to pay attention to them when not every day was taken up. Maybe mm -hmm. you get five or 10 a month. Now it's every day and now every more day. than one. This is really our outrage episode. Do you realize that? <laughs> I mean, this is our outrage episode. <laughs> that you would have one day now, let's say what today is the, uh, we're recording on the 16th, 18th of January. Okay, I'm going to look like five, up what today is. All today right? is. But there's like 10 of them now. And so you can get a meal every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, you can. That's very good, Adam. <laughs> it really is all PR based, I believe. I mean, and according to who, is there a Bureau of Days that's deciding this? Were they all like this, I don't know. Uh, people in black robes sitting around like, okay, let me tell that's you what so today Harry is. so Harry Potter. Let me tell you what today is. <clears throat> okay, what is it? It's National Winnie the Pooh Day. It's National oh, Peking Duck Day, which makes a little bit of sense because we're in Chinese New Year. Okay. Chinese New Year. Granted yep. that. National Thesaurus Day and National Michigan Day. God bless you, Michigan. But says who? I don't know. Maybe it's the day that Michigan was founded. It makes founded or something. I am beyond with this. Okay. I'm not done with being outraged, clearly. Okay. No, oh, yeah, obviously not. So we have to like, we have therapy appointments after this. So we, we can talk about it there. <laughs>
I actually right, so, do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I'm all warmed up. I'm hot and ready so, to go. All right. So let's talk about some of these trends that we're seeing. So there's okay. seafood cocktails. Now, not, not shrimp cocktails. Cocktails made with Clamato. Remember Clamato juice? Uh-huh. Clam juice, oyster liquid. What do you think about that? So this is not like, yeah, just I'm going to be clear so people understand. We're not talking about shrimp being dipped in a cocktail sauce. We're talking about drinks made with the liquor of the different various. What, Adam, you got a look on your face. Yeah, I'll pass. You're going to pass on that? Yeah. <laughs> Aim, what about you? You know, I have never wanted savory cocktails. I've never been into Bloody Marys. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. on National Clam Juice Day, I'll drink like a cocktail made with clam juice to yeah, be a good no. sport, but no thank you. It doesn't appeal to me. I, and I love oysters. I love clams, as you know. I just don't want them in my drink. Yeah. Are yeah. we just being creative to be creative? We are grouchy old people. Yeah. Is Are we just being creative to be creative? Um... You know, I I think there's, the, look, there's the longing for something new, right? Like we want mm -hmm. new things. We want to be excited be about a new idea. So maybe that's where this comes from. And, you know, look, I love oysters and I love the liquor that is in mm -hmm. the oyster, but I just personally don't want it in a cocktail. But I'm a little bit basic. You know, I like a French 75. I like a sidecar. Like I like sort of sweeter cocktails. So You know what I had for the first time this weekend? What? And you're going to go, really? It's your first one? A Negroni. Oh, yeah. Really? It's your first one? First one. Have you ever had a Negroni, Adam? I like them, yeah. They're great. I, I, I broke my virginity, my, my Negroni virginity. <laughs> um, a friend of ours, Gigi and Suzanne, when they came, they Suzanne loves Negronis, and they made Alan mm -hmm. and me one. And boy, they pack a punch. Yep. But so, so, you know, it's interesting to be experiencing and exploring some of these things that I've never had before. But to me, they're harking back to things. Yeah. They're harking. And, and what's you said, you know, the, the French 75 and harking back. But see, that's another trend. Now, you and I really disagree on this about nostalgic food making a comeback. Now, what's your take on that? I don't know when nostalgic foods weren't making a comeback. I think I know. So since 2000, I since 9-11, comfort mm. food, nostalgia foods, you know, childhood cereals being worked into baked goods. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Christina Tozzi with her cereal yeah. milk ice cream. Yeah. yeah. And like Good homemade Pop-Tarts. I don't know. I just, it feels like it's been a continuous trend for a while. But I know that there's mm. a new version of it. Tell me about that. Well, it's not so much a new version. Well, it is all these kids on TikTok discovering things that maybe they didn't grow up with. They're kind of harking back to our childhood right? and and getting foods from there. But I kind of like the idea of nostalgic food because maybe it's because of the pandemic and I just I just went like really deep and really inward right. and, uh, and wanted some of that comfort. Sure. But, you know, I mean, a good tuna noodle casserole, I mean, call me crazy, I know, because it's like so not, you know, shishi, but a good tuna noodle casserole goes a long way. Yeah, it does. I think me. casseroles, okay, one thing I'm hoping to see in 2023, mm -hmm. and this is not a prediction, it's just a hope, that the the sort of, you know, great divide between like foodie people, you know, yes. And everyday home cooks. People who like to might, eat. Difference, yes. Yes. Just Closes. might be a little less 
classist and elitist. Mm-hmm. I sound like I'm on a political rant, but I'm really not. I just mean... I think for a long time, good food has been a sort of affordable luxury thing for people with the means to afford that luxury. hundred percent. And there's been a lack of respect for the cooking of everyday home kitchens. Mm-hmm. And so- I agree. Bravo. I just Bravo. would love to blur that a little. Yeah. You should give a big round of applause for that. <laughs> I agree with you. There is lack of respect and little respect for- People who are just cooking meals for their families and trying to put out a good meal, a tasty meal, something a little bit different. I agree with that. That doesn't take a crazy amount of time, you know, because you're tired and busy. 85 ingredients. Yes. And that's where I live. I would prefer to eat in every single day than go out to a restaurant. Yeah. Even if I were given a free meal at like the best restaurant in the world, Noma, would I really want to go? I would if it were free, but otherwise, no. I yeah. really, I like eating home. And okay, we were talking about our like special highlights, our weekly, you know, our food week. Yeah. And I talked mm-hmm. about a very fancy dish made with an expensive Italian cheese and da da da. That's right. So you are those people. Well, you belong I, in the no, movie, I, the menu. I, I you belong in the movie, the menu. That was an amazing <laughs> dish. And it was an honor to have Tiffany make it. But last night, you know, I made air fryer salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even feel like making a whole teriyaki sauce from scratch, so I used a bottled one. I mm-hmm. made roasted broccoli with Parmesan, uh, just under the broiler, salt, pepper, olive oil, and then sprinkled mm-hmm. Parmesan and rice. And that was like an affordable, easy, yeah. quick dinner. And that's what we, we're really eating. We, I made uh, the one we had cold sesame noodles. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Who made the well, noodles? I did. Oh, you did. <laughs> I did. I Why? thought you were. I thought you were being tricky because you were like, I made the one we had. <laughs> oh no! And I thought maybe this was a case where he cooked. <laughs> oh no! I definitely made it, and I didn't have all the ingredients. And we're like, that's okay. So they tasted all right. They weren't normal. My right. normal cold sesame noodles, and that was fine. And we had roasted broccoli, and then yeah. I had, I made molasses cookies. That nice. was dinner, and I am happy about that. And what yeah. did you have for dinner last night, Adam? The American standard Taco Tuesday. Oh, that's great. I've never celebrated Taco Tuesday. We do a lot of Taco Tuesdays. Do the kids love it? Two of the three. (laughs) Yeah. And and your wife makes them or you make them? Yeah, she made them. Yeah. And actually she made them with turkey. Oh, ground turkey? Yeah, I made turkey tacos on Saturday night. We were renting a house up in Vermont. Oh, you rebel, you. You rebel. (laughs) I just thought, yeah, I don't know. Turkey, it's not the same. It's not my first choice, but. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. talking about food availability, it's just like, well, what are yeah. you going to do on Taco Tuesday if there's... Right, right. You know, yeah, yeah, very true. So, Amy, there's one that you really want to talk about. Another, this is a trend you really want to talk about. So, are we talking about the mushrooms? Yeah, I'm a little confused by this. Yeah. Because when I hear mushrooms, I have a friend of mine who was doing all of that Ashkawawa kind of thing, <laughs> you know, Barbara Wawa mushrooms, where he goes to a retreat and kind of gets high. Oh, oh, like the then, psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And so this is what I'm thinking you're talking about, but okay. it's not. I am, I have to say, I am, I am psychedelic mushroom curious. I have never done it. <laughs> But for me to do it, I'm such an anxious I'm person. Mushroom curious. I would oh need to be. Oh my god, in that a... needs to be on a T-shirt. Yeah. Next week on Talking with My Mouth Full, <laughs> David and Amy experience psychedelic mushrooms. We should do mushrooms on the oh show. Oh my god! Oh and my god! Try and get through it. No, I would need to be like in a clinical setting. I would need to me be too. like in a hospital, right? With like every 
sedative known to man on hand because like just I'm so afraid attack. of a bad trip or a panic attack. I am too. So like it would just have I'd have to be like surrounded, cocooned, you know, in various whatever. But so you, okay. what is this? Tell, the, what I'm not to okay. Here's what I'm not afraid of. <laughs> and a little okay. embarrassed by adaptogenic mushrooms, which okay. I want to just say before I start talking about this, this is traditional Chinese medicine that has been around for thousands of years. The fact that this is new to me is just because that's not my background. It's new to right. me. But these mushrooms are being embraced by a wider group of people who may not have experience with traditional Chinese medicine. And of course, like it's sort of, sort of Gwyneth Paltrow goop kind of set has yeah. really been embracing them. And my husband and I are at a stage of life where we are starting to like, huh, maybe we should supplement. Maybe we should da-da-da. Maybe we should start drinking collagen, you know. So Maybe we should have a little bit of pot to calm ourselves down. <laughs> so these adaptogenic mushrooms, there's mm. the big four. The first one's chaga, which is high in antioxidants. There's reishi, which is associated with sort of uh, relaxation, right. improving your stress response. Lion's mane uh, mm -hmm. has been studied to prevent promote nerve growth factor, so regeneration, yes. and cordyceps, which improves mm -hmm. oxygen delivery, ATP production, and energy. Mm -hmm. I am not a doctor. This is based on my research. Uh, I did my own research. There, There is evidence-based medicine here. This has been studied. And so we get something called mud water delivered to us, and it's a coffee alternative, and it tastes a little bit like chai, but it has these mushrooms ground into it, and you make right. yourself a little latte. And on days where I'm filming the show, there's a lot of needing to have quick, good memory recall because right. you have your little intro that you need to do, and you want to get mm -hmm. it right on the first take. And I do find that when I drink my mushrooms, I, I perform better when we're filming. So, really? Yeah. I don't know. I, I also like the taste of it. Honestly, it's um, you definitely need to like froth it a lot uh, so it's not grainy. But uh, the, the, I like chai a lot. And so I, I drink it. Uh, there are other mushrooms that are being studied. Turkey tails being studied as a cancer um, uh, wow. uh, cancer therapy. Anyway, very interesting. I, I have a little mushroom, a mushroom adjacent story, I guess you could say, is that I take lion's mane and I take cordyceps all the time because... Lion's mane is great for Lyme disease if you oh. have nerve damage, which I do. Yes. I have neuropathy because of Lyme disease. And so I take lion's mane, I take cordyceps, I take reishi. Actually, all of them. I, I do, all of them in capsule form. And right. if I'm not mistaken, Amy Tan, who yes. wrote The Joy Luck Club and a lot of other books, has Lyme disease. And I believe she takes lion's mane and mm. that has helped her neuropathy significantly, wow. if I'm not mistaken. And so I'm a big proponent of this, but I didn't realize, I mean, I'd heard about mud water. I see it on TikTok and Instagram. Instagram. Kind of thing. I bought it it's from Instagram. A, yeah, right. And I forget <laughs> if it's on Instagram, I'm not going to buy it because it's ridiculous. But I'm going to look into it now because I get brain fog because of Lyme disease. Ugh. And sometimes I just, I lose it. I, yeah. I just don't know what's going on for a second. And I lose words. And you've seen that yeah, on the yeah, show yeah. too. We yeah. had to edit out sometimes I, I miss words and everything. And so I'm going to see about taking that. Yeah. That's interesting. And I I just want to say I am not employed or in any way associated yeah, no. with the Mudwater Company. This is just, nope. yeah, yeah. And then so another trend that I kind of like is restaurants that feel like dinner parties. Mm, yeah, I love this trend. Where it's really kind of like the food and the personal space. It's all meant to be shared. 
and like supper clubs. I've only been to one or two supper clubs and there were yeah. pop-up supper clubs, but it's there's something so wonderful about this particular chef or even sometimes just a great cook feeding you in their home or feeding in you a, in a very particular yes. space. It reminds me, not that I ever been, but friends of ours have been to Cuba and and sometimes you had to be very careful about what kind of restaurants you had and you had to kind of keep things on the down low. But you would go to someone's house, go into their basement and it'd be this mm. wonderful cook and she or he would make all this food for like wow. eight people. And that would be the whole dinner. That is a trend I heartily yes. applaud. And some restaurants are now designing their their program to resemble a sort of home dinner club. Oh, like really? a, Some restaurants do start as these dinner parties that people are like, oh, I was cooking for my friends and it became so popular that I started doing it for money and then yes. I opened a restaurant. Now it's kind of going the other direction. It's like restaurants using mm-hmm. communal tables and a set menu and this very interactive experience. And, you know, we're, we're all craving community and connection after the past few years. Some places, examples of that would be like Her Place Supper Club in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Department of Culture yeah. in New York City, Daily Gather in Houston. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, in my neighborhood in Brookline, there's a restaurant called Cobble and it is booked. We just tried to book it. It's three months in advance and it's a BYOB supper club, basically. So they are super wow. popular. And I, yeah, I'm all for it. I really like that concept um, because it really is almost antithetical to what we were talking about with the noma nomaization of, yeah. of restaurants and, and these exorbitant, exorbitant prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what else is on your list um, that you you know the, the, up? This is not new, but the continued expansion of regional pizza making makes me so happy because mm-hmm. that's my single favorite food. You've got your New York mm-hmm. style, of course, your Naples. You've got your Sicilian, but regional mm-hmm. American styles are becoming more commonly known. So Detroit style pizza, which of course is baked in a metal pan with a lot of cheese so that it gets real crisp on the outside. Mm-hmm. Trenton style, which I had actually in Portland, Maine last year, which is like New York style, but they put the sauce on top instead of under the cheese. In Massachusetts, we we have South Shore Bar Pizza, which is kind of a super extra cheesy, crisp kind of pie. In fact, I would love our audience to share. If you have a regional pizza style where you live, please let us know because mm-hmm. I know there are many, many more than than I'm even listing here. And I I just would love to have like an index of all of them. Would you call a Portuguese pizza, a regional pizza, like in Fall River and Somerset, Swansea, where I grew up and probably up near you too, you get, instead of pepperoni, you get chorizo linguiça. Would you consider that a... You know, it's such an interesting thing. Yeah, I guess I would. I mean, because when I lived in New Mexico, you know, you would always have green chili pizza and that was Mm -hmm. like a New Mexican thing. I think like the regional styles are usually more also about the, the dough and the sauce than just the toppings. But you know what? It is because it's a style of pizza you get there. So yes, I would I would call that. Right. You don't normally get that yeah. in Illinois yeah, or yeah, in yeah. Idaho yeah. or something like that. All those I yeah. states out there, Iowa. You're not going to find Cherise yeah. out there. So I would consider that. And I love pizza too. You like pizza? Adam, you must. The kids oh, must course. love it. Yeah, you know, it's funny too because, you know, I was thinking, I mean, the whole regional aspect, I mean, everything travels, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Amy, you mentioned, you know, the sauce on top. So, I grew up in Utica, New York, and there's a pizzeria called Oskinitz, huh. which on their sign says it's the longest running pizzeria in America. Wow. Really? 1910 or 12, wow. I want to say. 
it's still up and running, but it does the sauce on top. And right. my friends have never heard of it. You just mentioned it. it's mm -hmm. definitely kind of proliferating, which is great. But the other thing that we had, which I wouldn't call pizza, but is also kind of out there is tomato pie. Yes. And Rhode Island, they have a version yep. called pizza strips, which are like tomato sauce on crust without the cheese or maybe a little Parmesan. It's like Parmesan yeah. cheese, but it's also served cold. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yes. And that was, yeah. I learned that the Rhode Island version came about because these Italian bakeries in Providence didn't have refrigerated cases and food safety rules came about. They couldn't have cheese on the pizza, so they just took it off and that was it. It reminds me a little bit, is it like the Catalan tomato bread where yeah. they take the bread, they, well, they rub a little bit of garlic and they, have, they rub it with except tomato. Except it's pizza dough. And it's cold. Instead of slices. Oh, it's pizza dough. It's yeah. not bread. Yeah. Oh. It's got a crunch to it usually. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sounds nice. it's really good. All these wonderful things we're discovering <laughs> just by, we're riffing here, folks. This is not one of our normal shows. So another really trendy thing that's going on is ube. Yeah. Now, have you had ube? Yeah, I Amy? have. I, 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 when I lived in San Francisco, <laughs> we used to go to Mitchell's Ice Cream in our neighborhood, and they made a wonderful, mm -hmm. it, it's a, it was a Filipino-inspired ice cream shop, and uh, they mm -hmm. made ice creams with ube, which is a, a yam, per, beautiful purple, yeah. gorgeous color. Gorgeous Sli color. Sort of a nutty tasting vanilla flavor. Lovely. Yeah. They made baby coconut ice cream. They made incredible. They still do. They're still open. Anyway, sorry. Yes. How about you? I have never had ube. Because don't forget, I live in the food wasteland that is Roxbury, <laughs> Connecticut. I have to travel to the city to have any of these things. And because of COVID, I've been up here right. for so long. So I haven't really had any. How about you, Adam? If you had ube? Uh, uno. No. <laughs> uno. So obviously, if, if we were Filipino, we would know this very well. But I think the, the sort of mass popularization has a lot to do with Instagram because the color purple is yes. so beautiful and vivid and visual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about ube is that it made the list of colors and flavors that capture 2023. So you'll be seeing a lot more purple food moving forward. And it's stunning in desserts. Beautiful tarts yeah. with this purple color. Because you don't think of purple food. You don't think of blue food. You know, purple food. That's not really sort of the color of food. And it's really astounding. Those color compounds are totally packed with antioxidants. So there's also the health the health reason to and do the it. The health yeah. benefit of it too. Speaking of Filipino food, I think when you're talking about the larger popular American culture, there are two cuisines that have really been underexplored on a mass scale, and mm -hmm. which are Filipino and West African cuisines, yes. mm -hmm. obviously very popular in communities and in communities with proximity to these restaurants. But in terms of like the wider American menu, we haven't seen as much of it. But oh my goodness, such just wonderful food. And you know, there are a lot of particularly Nigerian restaurants opening around the country, fine dining restaurants like Tatiana uh, at Lincoln Center. I had the most wonderful uh, West African food um, in Maine, in Rockland, Maine, a chef named Jordan mm. Benison, who's actually a percussionist. He's a professional musician who moved to rural Maine because his his mm. wife at the time had a job there. And he was making the food of his home country, Togo. And this was the classic story, cooked for friends. This is so good. You should do this for money. Mm -hmm. Started having dinner parties in his house. Eventually opened a restaurant called Melon Togo in Rockland, Maine. And it is so good. We had this chicken peanut stew. I'm so excited to have more of these flavors more widely available. I mean, some of the foods they serve are not kind of typical things that the most Americans probably don't eat, like right. goat. 
you know, which I yeah. love goat. I used to work at a West Indian restaurant, so we had a lot of goat. And so there's a lot of wonderful things. And I'm really glad to see this happening for West African food and also for Filipino food and for so many others, because I think it only enriches what we have out there. And, and I think that it gives so many other people voices when it comes to food and it expands really what our knowledge is of food and our also expands our, our repertoire of what we eat and also can cook. Okay, let's go to something a little, it's not controversial, but you and I had a slight bit of consternation about it. Steam ovens as the new air fryer. Oh God, <laughs> please. All right. Yeah, I just think this is another cash grab. I don't know. Cash grab is my word for the day. I just, I don't- Okay, let's say what we're talking about. All right, yeah. Explain what a steam oven is. I was going to say explain what a cash <laughs> oven is. Okay, yeah, it's exactly what it is. The, I think the one that's gotten the most traction on TikTok has been the Balmuda. Is it Balmuda mm -hmm. or Balmuda? I think it's Balmuda mm -hmm. oven, which is a toaster that has a very precise steam setting, which, which will release the tiniest bit of steam into, it's five cc's of water. Which is nothing- um, yeah, but it just makes the air more dense and allows it to the heat to penetrate food better. So apparently, this three hundred dollar machine will make you the most delicious piece of toast you've ever had. Yay! <laughs> Yay! That's great for National Toast Day, though, right? <laughs> exactly. Very good, Adam. They're probably the ones who created National Toast so Day. I see. Here's what. Here's where. Here's where it loses me. First of all, I like my air fryer because it makes dinner prep fast and easy and good. Mm -hmm. I don't see how this is making my life faster or easier. You know, or the, gooder. It's not. And also, my kitchen is chock full of of countertop appliances. appliances and my cabinets yes. are stuffed with them. So mm -hmm. I just got an electric kettle for Christmas and I love it. I, I wanted one for Do a while. You? I love it because I, oh. I drink a lot of tea and it's just so much easier. So that is the last thing that I am allowed to put on the counter. Like there's no more room. We're done. I think these steam ovens like this, I think are kind of crazy. To me, if I had a steam oven like a steam feature on my oven for bread when I was making bread and baking bread. Uh, yeah, I would love that'd that. That'd be great. But to get my toast soft in the middle and then crunchy on the outside, I don't need to spend $300 to do that. It just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. Cash yeah. grab, yeah. cash grab. Well, you know, it's somebody came up with this technology and there's a subset of people who are really into it and they did well with like marketing on social media. But I think it'd be great if someone could make an air fryer, deep fryer, steamer, rice cooker, slow cooker, <laughs> all in one. Then, you know, I would buy that, you know, but I don't right. want to have just neat things on my counter. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let's talk about something that is another controversial thing, butterboards. Oh God. I mean, right? this is Get so indignant. driven by Get social outraged. media. I, look, fine. If you want to have a party and you want to have like a nice display, but it's not a real thing. It's just, it's not it's just putting the butter out for the <laughs> so bread. It it's not. Oh. What is a butterboard? You got to explain. A butterboard is taking like a charcuterie piece of wood, let's say, and then you smear butter all over it. And then part of it has, let's say, uh, crushed rose petals and others have certain salts on top and some have certain peppers on top. And you might get- and herbs. Um, herbs on this one and that. And then you take it and you, you smear it on a piece of bread. And this is for your steamed toast? <laughs> oh my God, yes! <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so a conspiracy. I don't understand it. I mean, why not just eat a regular meal, 
have some butter and have like little little pots and you can sprinkle on your bread. Why you know have a I butter want, board? You know what I want, David? I want old what? school garlic bread. I don't need a butter board. <laughs> Nothing is better than garlic Remember bread. Remember garlic bread. Nothing is before better. Before all of this, before social God. media, there was garlic <laughs> bread. And I think one should return to good old fashioned garlic bread. So Do you I want think to stand boards, around smearing butter on toast at a party? And the thing is, there are cookbooks now coming out. Cookbooks coming out. For butterboards. God. Butterboard cookbooks. And then can we also talk about another cookbook that's going to maybe outrage and make you indignant is the As Cooked on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this cookbook? This to me is another money grab. I'm sorry. They're taking advantage of this moment in time. And that's great. People are making money. But it's all these recipes that have gone viral on TikTok. But the interesting thing, they're talking about how it's changing the world. And even Gordon Ramsay got in on it. He and his daughter wrote the um, preface. And I thought this is weird because he slams so many people on TikTok with what they make and what they cook. So the thing about this book, which is great, it's as cooked on TikTok, but it's the ultimate breakfast sandwich. And then you have lemon blueberry biscuits Mm -hmm. and you have berry cheesecake bait oats, cinnamon streusel coffee cake. This is not new. This is not groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I think what they're doing is people are being rewarded for discovering food or discovering recipes that have been around. They're popular because you like who that particular creator is. I mean, there's some creators like the pasta queen. I adore. I haven't made one thing that she's made yet, but I adore her. Yeah. You know, crispy spiced fish pakora. I mean, these are lovely dishes, butter chicken pasta. Right. So, I mean, I think it's great, but I I just think it's a money grab. So I'm not even going to request a copy of the book to look (laughs) at it because I am so outraged and I am indignant (laughs) about this. You know, I think if it's getting the next generation of cooks to get in the kitchen, great. That is a good thing. I think what makes me sad is that for me, one of the joys of cooking is that it is such a visceral connection to history and the people who came before us and this and tradition and culture. Mm -hmm. And so when you take a recipe and you completely strip it of context. Context. And throw it up on TikTok. I mean, fine, but I just feel like it's a lost opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. I agree. I completely agree. David, I want to thank you for really making me realize that my stores of outrage are actually vast and deep. And (laughs) (laughs) You're an angry woman. I am not the chill person I thought I was becoming in 2023. (laughs) You're more than welcome. Just I am your friend and I'm here to to reflect back to you as a mirror, your outrage and indignation. (laughs) We have a lot of that stored up. So any other, any other one? Oh, dates. This is a good one. Uh, Well, you know, dates, which have been around for thousands for millennia, going back to ancient Mesopotamia, um, you know, are are being appreciated as a natural sweet treat that has added benefits of antioxidants and minerals. And, you know, look, I love dates. There are are varieties of dates that you can get, say, in California that you can't Mm -hmm. get on the East Coast that I miss. I wish I could still get them that have the texture of sweet potatoes. They're just amazing dates that are grown in Southern California and certainly in the Eastern Mediterranean, Middle East. If more people are eating dates, I guess that's a good thing. It does feel a little bit like discovering something that's been around forever. And also, Let's not pretend. This is still sugar. We're still eating sugar. And mm-hmm. that I, I don't like dressing up something that has sugar plus other things as somehow being more... It's the virtuousness of it that bothers me. It's right. not more virtuous to eat dates than it is to eat sugar. So the mm-hmm. marginal benefit 
doesn't uh, really merit all the like hosannas that are being sung over dates, but they're delicious and we should have more varieties to choose from. We're going to get tons of emails and tons of replies to what you just said about the sugar thing, but that's okay. We can handle it. The thing I want to understand though is who decided that dates are now trendy? Again, it's it's like you're saying it's been been since ancient Mesopotamia. So suddenly they're getting their spotlight. They, well, the what is sticky thing toffee is- pudding made of? It has dates in it, <laughs> right? Well, the thing is, like, I think people are discovering bacon wrap dates, which you know, I don't know. Right. I lived through the '90s. I remember those. But God bless dates. Like, they're wonderful. Um, they're not new. You didn't discover them, folks. <laughs> I you guess didn't. that's all I want. And we're to not going to give it. you credit for getting, you know, National Date Day. We're not giving you credit for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing I do want to say, which I think a chef nearby in Connecticut was way ahead of the curve on this. And this I think is different, is chicken skin. As a snack. As, As a, a snack. crunchy, like, crispy snack. Like chicharrones, but they're yeah. using chicken skin. Now, yeah. Adam, you got a face on you. Is well, that who's not- just going in the fridge and grabbing the chicken skin? Like, how does that <laughs> well, work? It's su- well, it's it like is surprisingly with- easy to make. <laughs> it is. It's like when you have pork rind and then you, you fry it up. But this chef, Joel Velen, who was the chef of CT's, which is Community Table, which is uh, in Litchfield, Connecticut. This is eight, maybe 10 years ago for New Year's Eve, the one and I went and he had chicken skin, fried chicken skins as an amuse-bouche, half was dipped in chocolate. Hmm. Yes, so salty, now, sweet, bacony kind yes. of, yeah. If for me, yeah. For me, it, it didn't work. The one loved it. Yeah. I got to give props to Joel because that was a good decade ago and he yeah. was doing that. But now chicken skin is all the rage. Well, it's obviously very friendly for people doing a keto diet, low carb. Yes, very good. That's a very good um, point. As anyone who grew up eating deli food, mm-hmm. you know, gribinas are or gribinas, sorry, are the fried chicken skins that are delicious and salted and wonderful. You know, the bacon of the poultry world. Um, they aren't using that for marketing. They're missing out. The bacon of the poultry world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if it means we're using all parts of the animal, great. It's better than than wasting the skin. It and, is. I can yeah. think about how many boneless, skinless chicken thighs and legs and breasts are out there. So the skin's going to get used. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can actually buy in the future, you'll buy a package of nothing but chicken skin. Yeah. Fry up. Oh, I have done that. When I was doing a low carb diet, David, I had a couple of boxes of chicken skins that I was eating. Did you really? And you got them at the store? No, I ordered them online. <laughs> oh, I was really? Just, I, I was getting desperate for something crunchy. Yeah. Crunchy. I, I, I understand. All right, folks. Well, <laughs> those are our trends of note. If there are trends you're noticing where you are that you're either mm. excited about or outraged about, we want to hear it. Indignant about. <laughs> right. So you can communicate with us via social. I'm at Amy Traverso. David is at David Leet. And if you look at the episode description on any of the platforms that you're listening to the show on, you'll see that there's a link to chat with us. We would love to hear from you, and you might even be on the show. So click that link and leave us a message. Well, David, honestly, there's nothing I love more than being indignant with you. <laughs> Thank you. And there's nothing I love more than making you indignant. So this is where we have two peas in a pod. And Adam, thanks for joining us and, and giving us some of your feedback. We appreciate that. You got it. Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Overt Studios. And our producer is the always on trend, Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overt Studios at overtstudios.com. 
And remember to follow Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As always, if you like what you hear and want to support us, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Ciao. Bye, David. Everyone likes fresh food. But how do you tell if the food you're buying is really fresh? It can be quite a problem. Especially when it comes to eggs. But thank goodness you live in New England. Because in New England, eggs that come from local farms are brown. And that makes it very easy to tell a fresh egg. All you have to do is look at it. Brown eggs are local eggs and local eggs.